and welcome everybody to another episode of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is Brad Lamensdorf, a very special guest. He's a portfolio manager and CIO at LMTR and a co-portfolio manager at HDGE ETF. Brad, thank you very much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Brad, can you please tell us a little about your story and how you got involved in this business? Sure. Um, I, uh, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas and um, took to stocks at a very young age. And I was around a lot of the Bass Brothers and their family managers when they were running a very large family office in the uh, alternatives area. And I was hired right out of college after placing um, very high in a national trading tournament, caught their attention went in there and immediately started getting control of some portfolios and started helping the other portfolio managers. We did everything there from pairs trading to hedging a $13 billion Disney position. So we were very active in the entire alternative space. I left in 98, started my own long short hedge fund. We had extremely good performance. And in 06, I got so bearish, I gave all my money back and um, actually moved to Westport, Connecticut, which is where I reside now. And in 07, one of my largest investors, the Ranger Group, had come to me and wanted me to help run a short-only limited partnership that was set up, and it was called the Ranger Short-Only and we had the number one short-only track record in 2008, oh, wow. scoring a 96% gain. But we didn't get a lot of asset traction thereafter. And because of the limited partnership and because of all the stuff that was going on with Bernie Madoff. And so we turned it into an active ETF. It's not an inverse ETF. Inverse ETFs track indexes were active managers. So we don't have any of those kind of mechanical issues. You can hold our product long term. We have an NAV uh, mark at the end of the day, so we don't have any compounding problems. And so um, we uh, immediately, within 18 months, raised about three or $400 million in the marketplace. We're approved on the majority of all the platforms. And, um, we, um, and we've just been gaining market share, really, against the inverse products. But we were approved at almost every brokerage firm, if not every brokerage firm in America at this point. Well, that's a great point you just brought up. Can you just help explain it a little bit more for our audience, the difference between what you guys do as active managers and the quote-unquote inverse products and the inherent problems there? Uh, I'm sorry, could you say that again? Sure. Can you just explain to the audience the difference? That you brought up a great point. The difference between what you guys do as active managers in the short space and also the inverse products that are mechanically or inherently yeah, flawed? Absolutely. Yeah. So when you short, so when we're shorting, we're looking for companies with very weak cash flow, if not negative cash flow, companies that are pulling forward revenues using accounting shenanigans. So we're looking for companies that are problematic, not necessarily overvalued um, in nature, but we are definitely looking for companies that aren't doing well, companies that are not performing large uh, stock buybacks and things like that. When you're dealing with the inverse products or shorting the indexes, you're really putting yourself in a very poor position to make money because 
you're shorting basically the majority of the indexes are the top 20, 30 names in the country, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. These Many of these companies have so much cash that they could just start performing stock buybacks and floor their stock. Right. So, you know, we always feel like that you never can under, you can never can capture alpha in a down market using an index because you're always going to have a fee between you and the index. And like I said, the index is going to be dominated by very large companies with very good solid balance sheets. So for instance, in 2008, we were up 96% versus the market being down 41. So when the markets go down, our downside capture, the amount of money that we make there and above um, the index uh, benchmark um, has been very significant in what we've done. So we usually produce some pretty solid alpha when the markets are going down. And traditionally, that's why people have used our product is because of the downside capture. Oh, I love that. And, yeah. and, then, and then the inverse products, too, they have also more problems just because they have a tremendous amount of uh, tracking that they, I mean, not tremendous, but they have to track. And it's been very, very difficult in volatile times for them to, to completely track their indexes. And that's for several reasons. One is because they use a lot of futures and options. The optionality and the decay on those change quite a bit over time. Uh, also, they um, their product, while I mentioned before, we mark with an NAV like a mutual fund at the end of every day. So if our product is up 3% or down 3%, or even if 100 shares throws it off half a percent, we're going to start with the same NAV in the next morning. Inverse products do not operate like that. They compound on yesterday's performance. That's a huge So point. Yeah, that's think huge. about a volatile market. Let's say the index level starts at 100 on your ETF, on your inverse product. Right. And your product goes from 100 to 90. So that's down 10%. Right. <clears throat> then you bounce 10%. So 90 times 10 is 99. Right. So do that a thousand times and you're going to be not tracking what's really going on out there, which is frankly why the SEC and most of the compliance offices around the country are starting to ban these products and starting to become very, very onerous to people using them from a compliance point of view. Yeah, the math itself just doesn't make sense. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, that's right. In our opinion, these products should have never been listed, and it was the ridiculous power that ProShares had in the lobby at Congress to get this through. Understood. But we all know that they didn't track in 08. They did a terrible job, and like I say, you know, We don't have those type of issues, and that's frankly why we're approved in all of the programs at Morgan Stanley and UBS and RBC, and that's why we've been so successful at getting approved, just because our product uh, is uh, properly set up. No, it makes perfect sense. So I guess my next question, Brad, is can you tell us a little about your investment strategy and how you uh, look for those shorts? Sure. So again, uh, we we start from a screening process where we're going through the market looking for specific characteristics on the balance sheet, negative cash flow type characteristics. We're looking for companies that have a ton of goodwill that we think are going to have to get written off. 
companies that are possibly um, using 100% of their free cash flow to fund interest or dividends, anything that is really putting the company's balance sheet in arm's way. And we feel like over time, being short these type of companies versus being short Microsoft and Google and Amazon and things like that makes a lot more sense, especially um, you know, if you're looking to really add some alpha to your portfolio. Yeah, that makes sense. Why short the entire index, like you said, with Apple and Amazon, when you could be more selective and then just short the stocks that don't that should be shorted, so to speak. Right. And they have all the buybacks, the uh, opportunity to create buybacks, whereas the companies that we consistently focus on don't have those type of balance sheets. And in a negative cash flow basis, they really, frankly, will what tends to end up happening in these bear markets is the liquidity of the marketplace dries up, they can't do a secondary, and then all of a sudden they're in a, you know, a liquidity crisis for their company and the $30, $40 tech stock that you love drops to, you know, eight bucks. Right. And there's plenty of them that happen in every bear market. But for sure. No question. So I guess, Brad, next question is, how do you handle risk? And what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? So um, the biggest problem that I see in this business and the shorting business is, first off, you can't, you got to be real flexible when you're short because you're not investing. You're, it's more of a, nobody invests in a short. It's more of a trading strategy. And while we like to focus on poor companies, um, if a company were to start gaining relative strength, for instance, during these market meltdowns right now, we're monitoring our portfolios dramatically. If there were a company that were starting to stay hit a 52-week high that were short in this kind of environment, obviously that would be incredibly dangerous just because the stock is exhibiting too much relative strength. So we would cut that out and we would allow technicals to take over. So we do use technical analysis as an overlay to the um, fundamental approach that we use to make sure that, you know, that we're staying honest and not allowing any of these shorts to go against us 50 or 100 percent. No, that makes perfect sense. And then what are you, I mean, you've been managing money for a long time and you've done a fantastic job. What are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, well, that being penalized for being patient should be, um, uh, uh, you know, when you're, for me, for instance, last year I was extremely bearish um, the second half of the year, and we ran up quite a bit. Uh, if you go to my LNTR.com website under chart of the week, you'll see how cautionary I was all fourth quarter. And yes, I did not know this was coming, but when 80 to 90 percent of the people are saying one thing, you can bet that everybody has already reacted to what everyone else is thinking. So a tremendous amount of expectation has already been processed with inside of the marketplace. So I've never heard of anybody pounding the table saying, you know, buy everything, buy everything, and then they're 100% cash. Right. Tremendous. So traditionally, if you're, if you're telling people you're bullish, traditionally you're bullish and you're betting that way yourself in your own account. Right. And I think that monitoring expectation is probably one of the most difficult things to do in the marketplace. It, it does require patience sometimes. 
but um, and it's hard when clients don't understand the markets are going up and you're maybe in too much cash. But um, you know, it's 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 a very cyclical business, and you got to realize that these cycles do occur, and that as much as the government wants to try to have the Fed watch your back every single second. Sometimes in life, there's things that you just can't predict. And when everyone is so bifurcated to one side, these kind of huge corrections that end up occurring catch everyone so off guard that, you know, you you, you just get plowed in the market. So, you know, nothing's ever going to go to zero. In the, our indexes-wise aren't going to go to zero, and everything's not going to go to the to the moon. You just have to, you know know your expectation. We actually, on LMTR.com, we have a, another um, tile on our website that sentiment trader update that we give on Fridays. And the sentiment was so recklessly bullish in the fourth quarter, it was crazy. I mean, it was like something out of, you know, before the 08 crisis and before the 2018 hit that we had in January when the VIX blew up. And so expectation obviously is coming way down now, which is a positive thing. We're kind of in full motion of this correction now. And there will be certain things to be starting to monitor to start looking for the bottom, which is the buoyancy of some of the leadership in the marketplace, like Google, Microsoft, Amazon. I mean, those are the names to be starting to watch to see when a, a, you know, a bottom, you know, a real bottom can occur. However, I will point out that on my chart of the week that I, I have, we um, highlighted all fourth quarter some of my macro indicators that I think that ever, anyone who's in the marketplace should go back and, and look at. And some of these are market capitalization to GDP, which happens to be Warren Buffett's favorite indicator. And it was ridiculous. It was as high as 2000 the price to earnings on the on the on the uh, stock market coming into this was 19 or 20, which isn't crazy crazy, but we feel like that stock buybacks have been able to massage that PE down right. because people are issuing debt and buying back stock. I think the PEs would be a lot higher if the buybacks weren't so dramatic, meaning the organic growth in the marketplace isn't near as solid on your earnings front as it looks because companies are playing games with their balance sheet. Um, and then also um, uh, you have, um, uh, but, but, but the companies that are not in doing well, like say, let's say, let's look at the energy sector. You know, you may end up having some debt defaults there and some bankruptcies with inside of the equity markets too that the marketplace is probably worried about. That spills over to, Co-America, which has a lot of energy exposure on their debt book. So it kind of ripples through. Um, so anyway, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great answer. So patience as far as timeless lessons and then being contrary in nature. In other words, everyone's bullish, start to look the other way. When everybody gets bearish, like in March of 09, start to look the other way. That's a really, really good point as well. So that those are the timeless lessons. Brad, what are some timeless mistakes you see people make in the market that we haven't discussed yet, and how do you avoid them? Well, it's it's the same thing in reverse. Quit quit buying stocks when everyone's so bullish. Quit getting quit being so. I mean, if you had if you wanted to go buy 
a outfit at Neiman Marcus. Right. And you walked in there and it was $2,000. You're like, oh, I'm not paying that. And then all of a sudden, the third call sale came around and you saw it for 666 or something like that. Right. And you're like, oh, wow, two-thirds off? I'm happy to buy it now. And it's the same with the market. While everyone is very concerned now that the market is, uh, you know, going to have some discomfort due to all of these problems that are occurring, we're 20% lower than we were, um, you know, not 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 a month or two ago. Right. And there's plenty of great companies that have been punched down 20, 25%. And so the sale is starting. It may not be last call. Maybe this is first call. And maybe I want to wait to third call, meaning, you know, the stock market's dropped, you know, 18, 15, 18%. Maybe it needs to go a full 30, which is really where a lot of those valuation gauges would get more interesting to me. Right. And sentiment would just be buried at that point. But, um, you know, my, my, over the last couple of years, my target has been somewhere around 2000 to 2200 So while we're not quite there yet, we've come a long way. And once we do get down there, it should be a great buying opportunity. And by the way, there's an end date. This isn't like the financial crisis where we didn't know what was going on. Right. We, everyone knows and everyone has said that we can certainly find a vaccine for this. It's just going to take a year. Yeah, and unfortunately, a year is a lot of time when people are sick, but there is going to be an end game to this. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly where they'll take them. No one does. But in the end, um, buying when things are very fearful is going to be much more profitable for you in the long run and quit allocating money when you know, it's kind of like chasing the Joneses. Your neighbor gets a new car. You want to get a new car. Right. Everyone's making money in the market, so you want to throw your money more into the market. And that's exactly what you don't want to do. What you want to do is you want to buy crisis. Right. So basically, there's a fear and greed. Just do it in reverse. Buy one yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's a really good point. So uh, what's the best piece of advice, Brad, you can share with the audience on or off Wall Street? On or off Wall Street? Well, like I said, it's 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 the same. You know, logic, uh, uh, patience, uh, the same things that we've been talking about through this entire conversation. Um, just you know that you're not at a gambling table. You're not in Vegas. Uh, people that have done very well in the markets are not moving their portfolio around every week. Um, they have an opinion, and when you do create your opinion at least my opinion, are, are created off of, you know, 30, 40 years of experience where I know that when, for instance, the put-call ratio gets very, very low, meaning lots of people are buying calls, I need to be fearful. When the VIX indicator is very, very low, I need to be fearful. When the VIX is very high like it is now, it's creating a buying opportunity at some point. And so you just need to be very level-headed when it comes to monitoring this type of cyclical type business because this isn't like buying a building where you get a 20-year lease and you just get cash every month. Right. That, that's a really good point. So before we go, I want to thank you very much for all, for coming on the show and taking time out of the day. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? 
Uh, well, they should just email me at brad at lmtr.com. I'm happy to, to take emails. Okay, fantastic. Well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Love being here. Thanks a lot. Thanks.